All right, how's everyone doing? All right, good deal, good deal. My name is Isaac Escobar, and uh, I'm the discipleship pastor here uh, at The Experience, and it's great to be here with you. Uh, I'm, I'm super grateful to be able to be here. Anytime I get to speak through God's word, it's an honor and a privilege, and I'm uh, just grateful to be here. Uh, if it is your first time or your first time in a long time, if you're new here at The Experience, you may not know this. Uh, when you came in, you should have got a bulletin. Uh, it's a notes handout. It has everything that we're gonna talk about in the message. Everything that's gonna be on slides is in that notes handout. Uh, if, if you didn't get a notes handout, you can download The Experience Community app. You download that thing, click on service times, sermon notes, and everything we're gonna talk about uh, is on there um, on that app. And here's why we do that. The, the notes hand out on the app so you can follow along and really take in God's word and, and, and take in what we're talking about today as we go through um, this, uh, this chapter of the Bible, Ecclesiastes 8. And if you are new, we go through whole books of the Bible, line by line, verse by verse, we break it down. And we're in Ecclesiastes. We've been, we've been in it for about two months. We've been in Ecclesiastes. So we're talking Ecclesiastes 8 Today, it's about in the middle of your Bible. Um, if you can't find it, just look in the beginning. It'll tell you where Ecclesiastes is at. We're in Ecclesiastes 8. So last week, uh, Pastor Josh Brooker, our Woodbury campus pastor, he was here preaching at this campus. So he did a great job. I watched that online. Uh, and the reason why I watched it online is because I was at our Woodbury campus last week. I preached at our Woodbury campus. And I love the fact that we were one church in different locations. You may not know this, but we are one church with one great mission in different communities. In fact, our Eagleville College Grove campus is doing preview services right now, uh, preparing. They're kind of doing some preparation services for the launch in January. So if you know anyone who lives in College Grove or Eagleville, or maybe you do, they're launching a campus of the experience in that community. It's a really, really cool thing. But Pastor Josh and myself, we preached on Ecclesiastes 7 last week, and the big idea was that we must evaluate our lives. At the beginning of, of, of Ecclesiastes 7, it says, funerals are better than parties, death is better than life, because it forces us to reflect at those places. We must reflect and evaluate our lives, and we must know, are we surrendered to God? That's what Ecclesiastes 7 was all about. Are we surrendered to God? But today, in Ecclesiastes 8, the big idea is God must be our ultimate authority, because when he is, when he's our ultimate authority, we can find peace and we can find contentment. God must be our ultimate authority. Now, we all look for authority in our lives, right? We all look for some sort of authority, some sort of guidance in our life. We all need authority in our lives. Even in the mundane, small things of life, we, we need authority. For me, my authority when it comes to eating at restaurants, all right, I have an authority in my life, all right? It's called Yelp. All right, that is my authority in life. It's called Yelp. And I do not eat at restaurants with less than a four-star rating on Yelp. All right, I'm not an animal, okay? I, I won't do it. Now, I have eaten at restaurants less than four stars, but I don't tell anyone, okay? I don't put that on Facebook. I don't want people to know. My authority for, for movies, all right, is, uh, is Rotten Tomatoes, okay? That's what I use for, uh, uh, for uh, if I'm gonna watch a movie or not. My threshold it's about 62%. Anybody else is 62%er, 65%, all right, on Rotten Tomatoes, okay? Now, I, I have watched a movie under 62% because I believe in grace, all right? I, I do, I'm, great, I'm a gracious person, all right? My authority for fashion, because I know some of you are thinking I'm super fashionable. Um, my authority for fashion is my wife, okay? <laughs> That is my authority for fashion. Now, I don't always heed that authority, so if I look bad, it's because I didn't listen to my wife, all right? In fact, a couple weeks ago, it's a true story, I was officiating a wedding. I was getting ready uh, to, to, to head out. We were both getting dressed to leave, 
And my wife stopped me and she said, whoa, 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 like you can't wear that. And I was like, what? She's like, those pants and that tie, like none of it goes together. You're gonna ruin this wedding. Just, <laughs> she made me change and I went and I changed because my wife is, is my authority on fashion. But we all need authority in our lives. We all need guidance. We, we all look for authority, and that's what we're talking about today. That's what Ecclesiastes 8 highlights and talks about is authority. You're gonna hear it over and over, authority. Before we get into it, before we break it down, I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna go line by line, verse by verse, through Ecclesiastes 8 and see what our authority, who our authority truly is. So you pray with me, and then we'll start to break it down. Heavenly Father, I pray that, uh, that your word would be lifted up. God, that you would hide me behind your cross, behind your word. Any, any antidotes I use, anything, God, that, that, that I, I feel you've inspired me to, to talk about, it would just lift up your word. It would get me out of the way and it would change us and it would move us. Help us, God, to make you our authority. God, we do pray, as Kyle prayed, we continue to pray and lift up the other churches in our community. God, we pray for the success of other churches. God, I know that, that even statistically, there's not enough seats in our community for all the people to go. And God, we pray that you would fill the churches in this community, that people would find their way back to you. We pray for the churches in our, our state, in our nation, the churches we support in the New England area. God, we pray for their success, that they would reach people for you, they could have peace and hope and change in their life because of you. God, we pray for the great nonprofits that we support, like mentor leaders and the work that they do around the world. How we pray that they wouldn't just meet physical needs, but those needs would be met to help lead people to a relationship with you, their souls, God, that are cared for and met through the nonprofits we support. We love you, God. Guide us and lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter eight. Let's break it down, verses one through four. It says this, who is like the wise person and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Don't be in a hurry. Leave his presence, and don't persist in a bad cause, since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word, the king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, what are you doing? The king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, what are you doing? So Solomon says wisdom brightens a person's face. It literally changes someone's face. You can tell the difference of a person who lives in wisdom. At least you should. You should be able to tell the difference of a person who lives in wisdom. You should be able to see that, hey, they're respectful. A person who lives in wisdom, people of God, Christians, they are respectful, law-abiding citizens who care. You should be able to tell the difference and a Christian, and a person of wisdom, and a Jesus follower. And those who live in wisdom, also they don't cause trouble for authorities. Not only are they law-abiding citizens and they do what they're supposed to do, they don't cause trouble for authorities. Especially those they find themselves under, your boss, uh, people, parents, people over you, they're respectful of authorities. People of wisdom also don't question positions of authorities. They don't, they don't challenge those who are in authority. That's what Solomon is saying at the very beginning here. We're respectful of authorities, we're law-abiding citizens when we live in wisdom. Now, that idea that Solomon talks about, it's a biblical idea. All throughout, we see this idea that we should respect authorities. We see it from Genesis all the way to Revelation, this idea that we should respect authorities. In fact, Jesus himself, God incarnate, affirms this very thing. He was, he was challenged, and they asked him, should we pay taxes to Caesar? 
they were trying to trick Jesus and they're trying to trap him to, to say, listen, uh, you know, we serve Caesar instead of God, but, but, but Jesus flipped it on them and said, Who's, whose picture is on the coin? He said, it's Caesar. So, so you live in Rome, abide by the laws, give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? Obey the law, obey the authorities, right? We have to obey the laws. We have to pay taxes. We have to be peaceful and respect our authorities in our society. Now, here's why. Here's why as Christians, as people of wisdom, people should be able to tell the difference in the way in which we live in our society, in our government, because all authority, listen, all authority is God's authority. Any reasonable law and order that we have comes from God's moral law, from his order in the universe. Here's what I mean by that. Listen, sound law and order in a society or a government are not some new invention. Governments and societies don't invent good law and order. Good law and order in a society are a discovery. They're they're, they're making sense of what God has already set in motion in our universe. When when we have a law that says, hey, we shouldn't murder, we shouldn't take life, that, that, that connects with the moral law of God where we should value life. We should care for life no matter who it is. We shouldn't take a life, not because the government or the laws say so, but because God says so. So as Christians, right, as a people of God, as a community of believers, we live into God's wisdom by respecting our lawmakers and our laws. It doesn't matter if we agree with them or not, right? It doesn't matter if they're a Republican lawmaker or a Democratic lawmaker. If it's sound law and order, we're supposed to follow it as people of God. People should see the difference. We need to obey the laws We need to pay our taxes. We need to do what we're supposed to do in our society and in our government. We need to be good, law-abiding citizens. As Solomon says, obey the king's commands. Be respectful of authorities. Well, let's look a little further and see who our true authority is as we read through in Ecclesiastes 8. It says this in verse five. It says, the one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful and a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity, there is a right time and procedure, even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. Yet no one knows what will happen because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it. And there is no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged discharged during battle and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All this I have seen applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun, at a time when one person has authority over another to his harm. When one person has authority over another to his harm. So when we live a life of wisdom, right? When we obey the laws of the land, we do what we're supposed to do, we're law-abiding citizens, it typically goes well for us. Like it goes well for us as citizens. If we do what we're supposed to do, we pay taxes, we obey the laws, it goes well. In fact, Solomon says, if we do what we're supposed to do, we obey the king's commands, we will not experience anything harmful. And that makes sense to me. I mean, it's wisdom literature. It should make sense. It's wise sayings. It's things that should make sense. And this makes complete sense to me. In fact, in my household, we, 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 have, we have rules. We have laws in our, in our household for our young kids. I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And we have some rules and rituals in our house. And one of them is, when we eat dinner together, right, we have a rule that, hey, if you eat all your dinner, you do what you're supposed to do, you can have a dessert or you can have a treat. And the other day, my, my son, he was, he was crying. Uh, he was like getting through his, trying to get through his meal and he was like belly aching and crying about it. He's like, I just want some Halloween candy. That was my son. We had leftover Halloween candy. Although 
Quick side note, my wife, we had the, this big bag of Halloween candy, and my wife, she, she, she threw it all out, all right? I was devastated that she got rid of it. I came home, and I was like, hey, where's that bag of candy? And she was like, I just, uh, I was like, don't tell me you threw it out. And she didn't say anything. I was like, don't tell me you threw it out. I was like, tell me, did you throw it out? She's like, I'm sorry, I got rid of it. But we had remnants of Halloween candy. And my son the other day, we're at the, we're at the kitchen table and he's crying. He's like, please, I just want some Halloween candy. And, and he was crying so much. It was like we'd killed our dog or something. I'm like, buddy, like, listen, you can have Halloween candy. We're not holding it from you. Just, just eat your dinner and we'll give you some candy. And he's crying and moaning. I'm like, bud, all you have to do is eat your dinner and you can have candy. It makes sense, right? If we do what we're supposed to do, we obey the laws, we won't experience anything harmful. But those who live in wisdom also know this, how we act and how we live is not dependent on the government and the society in which we live. It shouldn't be. How we live and how we act should not be dependent on the government and the society in which we live. I'll say this a few times, but this is not an anarchist or anti-government message. Listen to this thought flow, right, that Solomon is talking about. He says, obey the commands of the king. Listen to authority. We're supposed to, as Christians, as people of wisdom, we also should not be dependent on our government and society to make our decisions in, in what we do in life. You see, we must rely on God's wisdom to make decisions. Solomon says, a wise heart, a person who lives in wisdom knows when to listen and when to respond. He said there's a right time and there's a right procedure, even when things are heavy on us, even when things aren't going well, even when there's turmoil, even when the government is going crazy, society is going crazy, we should know the right time and the right procedure when we live in wisdom. So our actions should never be based on our political affiliation. What we do and how we act shouldn't be based on our political affiliation or on what the government says. And here's why. No politician, it doesn't matter how much they promise, and politicians will promise a lot of things. No politician or political party can predict the future. They can't. Solomon says, who, who, who can know what's gonna happen? Who, who can know which way the wind will blow? They can't control the universe. They can't rule, or, rule over life and death. Solomon says, who has control over death? Who does? Now listen, a lot of politicians Throughout history, leaders and, 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 and government leaders and political parties have, have thought that they can. They think that they have control. They think they can make change. They promise a lot of change. They think they have sovereignty over the future and what will happen and what can happen, but they don't. They do not. It doesn't matter how much they promise, overpromise or underpromise. So if no government, right, let's follow this thought of Solomon. If no government or leader or ruler has authority over the wind, as Solomon says. He says, who does? Who has authority over the wind? If no ruler or government has, has sovereignty over life and death, who has rule over life and death, right? Solomon is asking these questions. Who does? And it's fascinating as you read through Ecclesiastes 8. It's so rich as you read through it because you don't, you don't have to be a theologian or a Bible scholar. It just starts to jump off the page as you read it. As you're reading that and he's asking these questions, who, who has control over the wind? Who has control over life and death? It's clear who does. God does. God has sovereignty over life and death. He knows the future. So the implications of this are, we are not slaves to the government. Again, this is not an anti-government anarchist message. We're supposed to be law-abiding citizens. We're supposed to obey authorities, but we are not slaves to the government. In the South, I feel like this is a tough thing to say, but your political affiliation is not your God. Our political affiliation is not our God. 
Our loyalty is to an authority far beyond this world. Far beyond this world. Our authority in life should be Jesus. Jesus Jesus should be the king of our lives, the king of our hearts and our minds. When I was in high school, uh, my, my family would do these, um, these church bowling nights. I grew up with my aunt and uncle and uh, our whole church. We had, a, we had a small little church community and we'd do these church bowling nights. It was like Tuesday night bowling nights. And it was kind of a big deal. We'd all go and hang out. And even though I didn't bowl, I would go and hang out with other people at the church. And it was just a fun thing to do. And I remember this one particular bowling night uh, at our, at our, at our, you know, with our church because there was a special guest at this bowling night. It was uh, what's called a district superintendent in my church. I grew up Church of the Nazarene. And so district superintendents were, were kind of a big wig in the church. And they usually had pastored for years and had a lot of wisdom. And they kind of ascended to this role where they were overseeing churches. The Church of Nazarene, they have like a church board and a pastor who leads the church. But a district superintendent oversees the churches and the pastors and the boards. And they kind of have a big role. So our district superintendent was at this church bowling night. And he's just older, revered, respected character. I remember me, I was this, you know, young little freshman or sophomore, squirrely, you know, little kid. And I was wearing one of my favorite t-shirts at this bowling night, my favorite t-shirt. In fact, I asked my wife, I was like, hey, whatever happened to to that shirt? And she was like, I think you lost it. (laughs) Again, she's my authority on fashion. And uh, I think she got rid of it is what happened to that shirt. But I had this blood red t-shirt. And on the front, it had this green lettering that said, cash is king on the front. Those are like popular, have like stuff like that. In fact, it had a, a money sign for the S on cash. So it was extra cool <laughs> t-shirt. And I remember I was wearing this t-shirt at this bowling alley, just hanging out, bebopping around as a young little freshman. And, and this district superintendent sees me from across the bowling alley. And I'm thinking, hey, he, he's, he sees me, you know, like, what's up? And he didn't look very happy though. And he caught eye contact with me. He came, you know, charging over like a bull, and he came and he pointed his finger at me. I thought, that's an interesting greeting, you know, and pointed his finger right in my chest, and he read the, the, the shirt, and he said, cash is king? He said, no, Jesus Christ is king. He kind of said it sternly like that. I nearly wet myself when he said it. I was like, oh my word, I don't recommend his approach. I don't recommend it, but he was right. I mean, he had a point. Jesus is king. Jesus is the king of our lives, and we put a whole lot of things above God in our lives. We put a whole lot of things above Jesus in our life, but he should be king. God should be the king of our lives. In fact, Jesus taught us that we should pray, that we should ask God into our lives. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, God in heaven, blessed be your name. You are holy, you are good. May your kingdom come. May you be king of my life on this earth as it is in heaven. Would you be the king of my life? That's how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, pray like this. May your kingdom break in on my life here on earth as it is in heaven. And we see the people of God, people of wisdom have done it over and over and over. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a guy named Daniel where the people of Israel were exiled to Babylon. If you know the story of Daniel, the the, the people of Israel, they didn't make God their king. And so they ended up in exile and they were under a different authority. They weren't under the people of God or the, the, the nation of Israel, they're under a Babylonian ruler. And while Daniel was serving, he was actually a a, a government employee. He worked for this foreign government, right? He was actually a government employee. And there was a group of people who got some laws changed that did not connect with the people of God. Can you imagine that? There was a group of people who got laws changed, did not connect with the people of God. How terrible is that? That would never happen, right? There was a group of people who were adversaries to Daniel and they got a law changed that said you cannot pray. It's illegal to pray. But Daniel didn't bow 
to that kingdom, to the Babylonian kingdom. He, he bowed to the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he still prayed. Daniel prayed. Even at the risk of his own life, he prayed. In the first century, the Roman Empire, listen, if you ever look up history in the Roman Empire, it's fascinating because of a very bleak, dark, dark culture. First century Rome was a rough environment. The government and the society in that day said, listen, if you were an orphan and you were a widow, you were not human. No one cared about you, you were trash, and that was okay to consider them less than human. They were, they were cast out. But after Jesus had died and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, the first century church started, and they bowed to a different king in a different kingdom, and they cared for the orphans and the widows. They didn't care what the government and what society said. They bowed to a different king, to a different kingdom. Jesus was their king in that first century church. Man, in our own country, listen, our own history, there was a time in which we said, it's okay to own another human being and mistreat them, have slavery. Yet there were people, the Christians, were abol the abolitionists were Christians, and they bowed to a different king in a different kingdom. At the risk of their own life, they cared for other people because they bowed to a different king in a different kingdom. In, in, in Nazi Germany in World War II, can you imagine living in an environment where genocide was happening, where it was okay in your society and in your country? I've been to Dachau concentration camp. It is a harrowing place to go there. And can you imagine being in that nation? On the outside, as Americans, we look at that history and say, yeah, we condemned it. But could you imagine being in that country and being a citizen of that country and yet having to decide, do I bow to the fewer, to the king of this nation, or do I bow to a different king? And the confessing church in Dietrich Bonhoeffer did not bow to the Fuhrer. In fact, they, they, they tried to help plan with the assassin, assassination against Hitler. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer lost his life because he bowed to a different king and to a different kingdom. Jesus was his king. So when our government, right, let's, let's bring it home right here in our nation right now. When our government and our society says it's okay to abuse the immigrant, it's okay to mistreat the foreigner, we must bow to a different king and to a different kingdom. And we must care for those who are different than us. When our government and our society says it's okay to abort an innocent life, it's okay to have sexual freedom and to do what we want with our bodies, we must bow to a different king and a different kingdom and say all life is valued. All life should be cared for. When our government and our society and our laws say it's okay to redefine marriage and it's okay to redefine sexuality, we must bow to a different king and a different kingdom. One in which says we are created in the image of God, male and female, and true sexuality is found in the covenant of marriage between male and female. We must bow to a different king in a different kingdom. One in which Jesus is, in fact, our king. N.T. Wright, who's a, who's a really profound theologian, he's a great theologian. I encourage you to look up N.T. Wright and read some things by N.T. Wright. Very, very profound theologian. He says this. He says, all human power systems, all of them, are subject to Christian critique. They're subject to God's word, critique from God's word, his spirit, and his church. They're all subject to Christian critique. All power can become idolatrous. So every knee shall bow at Jesus' name. Every tongue could, should confess at Jesus' name. And listen, I love what he says. We must never tire of saying so. We must never get tired of saying that Jesus is king and should be the ruler of our lives. And here's why. Let's look at 10 through 13. Why does God need to be our king? Why does Jesus need to rule our lives? It says this, in such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried 
They came and went from the holy place and the wicked were praised in the city where they did those wicked things. This too is futile. It makes no sense because the sentence against an evil act is not carried out quickly. The heart of people is filled with the desire to commit more evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people for they are reverent before God. However, it will not go well with the wicked and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow for they are not reverent before God. They will not lengthen their days like a shadow for they are not reverent before God. So God has to be our authority. Jesus has to be the king of our lives because the, the, the world is wicked and it really doesn't have much, much guidance for our lives. Solomon says that, that, that we're so twisted. And again, this is Solomon observing his day. I mean, thousands of years ago, Solomon is observing his day and he said, we are so twisted as humans that we praise those who do evil. That's what we do. We lift up and we praise those who do evil. In fact, he says it inspires more evil. As you read through that, that section, he says it inspires more evil. The hearts of people are wicked as they witness the evil people who are praised. Right? And I, I was thinking about, man, okay, that's Solomon's culture, right? That's what he's observing in his life. And, I, and this week I began to think about it and I was, I was, I was, I was just trying to do some like reading and, and looking up who are some people that we praise in our culture and different things that, that, that we do in our society. And it was interesting because I was looking up and I found a, an article about Michael Jackson. And when I was a kid, it was, it was pretty, um, I don't know if it was well-known, but it was just stuff I had heard as a kid about Michael Jackson that he, that he abused children. He sexually abused children, something I had heard and I don't know, I don't know if it was ever true, but it's just some, something that I, I, I remember thinking and hearing as, as a kid. But I came across this, this article which talked about the allegations that happened. After he had died posthumously, uh, there's been a lot of um, kind of serious allegations that he did in fact abuse children. He sexually abused them, just all these horrible, horrific things. But this article was interviewing a professor at, at one of the universities um, on the East Coast. And this professor is kind of an expert in society and pop culture. And it's fascinating to me that, that he was talking about Michael Jackson because his moniker, right? We're talking about authority and lordship and his moniker is the king of pop. You know, he's the, the king of pop. And he said, listen, all these allegations about Michael Jackson, all these things that are said about him, when years go by and, and, and down the road, people probably won't remember any of these allegations. All these horrific things that people are accusing him of, what will be remembered is his art, what he's contributed to society. I mean, he, he's the king of pop. We won't be thinking about any of these terrible things. We'll be more thinking about what he's contributed to society. And it made me think, I think, man, we're, we're not much different today than as Solomon says he noticed these things. We lift up those who do evil. We're inspired by, by greediness and, and, and people who are vain. We're inspired by it. You see, the worldly wisdom is that we are our own God. That's the worldly wisdom. So if we don't worship Jesus, if he is not our guiding light, if he's not our authority, and we inevitably worship ourselves. We just end up worshiping humanity. And honestly, it can be kind of tempting to, to make the world our authority, to, to be our own God. It can be tempting. And honestly, it was the original sin. If you read in Genesis, Satan came to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said, go ahead, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Go ahead, because you will be like God. That's the temptation. We'll be our own God. We'll be sovereign over our own lives. We can make our own decisions, do what we want, when we want, however we want. We don't need anybody to tell us what to do. We don't need an authority. You can do what you want. That's the lie of Satan. 
You can do what you want, when you want. You can rule your life. And it's nice to be in charge. I mean, I, I, I like to be in charge. Who doesn't like to be in charge and have control over things? Who doesn't like to have that sovereignty? That's the lie that Satan wants you to believe. Go ahead, you rule your life. You do what you want, when you want. If we don't have absolute truth, if we don't have some sort of truth guiding our lives, if we don't have some sort of truth in our lives, some divine authority, if Jesus isn't king, we will be lost. We will, we will be lost. Solomon tells us it will not go well with the wicked. We will, we will become lost. And it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well for us. And there's, there, there's plenty of people that, I know I've talked with Pastor Corey and, 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 and even myself and pastors on staff. We've, we've met with people and we've talked with people who've, who've made themselves their authority. And it doesn't, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well every time. It doesn't go well. We become lost. When I was in college, I was in, I was in Army ROTC. And um, man, when you, if anybody's ever been in the Army or, or been through ROTC, you do a lot of land navigation, uh, just a lot of land nav. They figure if they're gonna commission you as an officer, you should know where you're going, I suppose. And so we do a lot of land nav. And I remember when I was, uh, one particular time when I was a sophomore in college, uh, we went out to a training site to do land navigation. And land navigation, here's how it works. They give you a map, they give you a protractor and they give you a compass and they give you different points that you have to go find in the woods. And like, they, they figure you gotta, you gotta know where you're going uh, if you're gonna lead people in the army. So I remember my sophomore year, I got partnered up with one of my buddies, Jake, who, who's still a really good friend of mine, who's, who's pastored and he's a chaplain in the National Guard, good friend of mine. But we got partnered up and, and we we're getting sent out to go find these points. And I was still kind of learning. I joined ROTC kind of late. So I was just kind of watching him and trying to learn and figure out what we're doing. And he's plotting the points and we're finding different points and we're going along. And we finally get to one point and he, and he looks at me and tells me, he said, hey, this next point is 200 meters north. I was like, okay, 200 meters north. And I just, I was still kind of learning and I, I think I just, you know, completely blanked and, and, I, and I didn't know. I was kind of, kind of anxious thinking, like, how do we, I was like, dude, how do we know which way north is? I was like, I'm, I'm not sure. And he like, looked at me and kind of laughed and he was like, that's a good one. I was like, no, seriously. I, I was like, I just, I don't know which way north is. Like, how do we know? So we look at the map and he's like, oh, you're, you're serious. Like you, you're, you're like dead serious. And I was like, yes, I'm serious. Like which way is north? And he came close to me and he, he grabbed the compass that like we had hanged down from our LBV and he, he grabbed that thing. And he said, Isaac, the compass, the compass tells us where north is. And I was like, oh, my word. I was like, they're never going to commission me as an officer. I'm never going to make it. In fact, they still commissioned me by God's grace. In fact, I called them this week and I was like, hey, let me make sure I got this story right. And he's like, oh yeah, you got it right. And it's still funny today <laughs> that you didn't know where North is despite having a compass. But the truth of it is, if we don't have an authority, if we forget our authority, we can become lost really quick in our lives. We can get lost. When we turn to ourselves for our own authority, it leads to sexual brokenness in our lives. When we're our own God, hey, we can do what we want. It's okay, we don't have to tell anyone about this pornography addiction. I don't have to tell anyone, I'll figure it out, I, I, I know. I don't have to have an authority that says, listen, sex is for marriage and it's for covenant to, to commit your life to another person. You say, no, you know what, I don't care if there's an authority that says, this, says that, I'll be my own God. I'll define sexuality for myself. I'll do what feels good when it feels good because I'm God. And it leads to sexual brokenness. When we're God, it leads to alcoholism. I can medicate my own problems. I don't need to talk to anyone. I don't need community. I don't need to be in relationship with others. I can medicate myself because I'm God. I can figure it out myself. 
It leads to fear and all these things that happen in the world and you, and you think, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll vote for the right party. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll, I'll figure things out myself. It leads to resentment. There's an authority, there's a God that says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But when we're God, we can be resentful. We can hate people. We can do what we want because we're God. When we're God, it leads to lies. There's an authority that says, live in the light and be in the light, but we can hide things when we're God. We can keep things to ourselves. It leads to discontent when we are God. Yet I do believe, I absolutely believe that we have hope. In fact, Solomon says, it will go well. Life will go well when God is your king. When you fear God and live under his authority, it will go well. If we can just get off the throne, right? If we can just step off the throne, let God take the lead in our lives, we can have peace. We can have hope. We can have contentment. We allow Jesus to lead our lives. But it's hard. It is hard. We have pride. We have things that get in the way. It's hard. But we can have enjoyment. Let's look at verses 14 through 17 says this. It says, there is a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say, I say this too is futile. It makes no sense. So I commended enjoyment. I commended enjoyment because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself, for this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on earth, even though one's eyes do not close and sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. Even if a wise person claims to discover it, he is unable to discover it. Listen, we cannot enjoy. We cannot have true enjoyment in our lives, and we cannot make sense of life if God is not the king of our lives. In fact, this is a theme all throughout Ecclesiastes. If you've missed this theme, you've missed the main point of Ecclesiastes. Life doesn't make sense. We cannot enjoy life. We cannot have true enjoyment without God. It hasn't changed in Ecclesiastes 8, right? We cannot truly enjoy life if God doesn't rule our lives. But when Jesus is leading our lives, listen, when Jesus is leading our lives, we can have peace and contentment. We can actually enjoy the things that we do. We can have peace and just enjoy it, just just for the pure enjoyment of it. We can eat, drink, and enjoy life. Our work, listen, our work can have meaning. So Monday morning isn't such a drag when we show up but it has purpose. People have purpose and and, and people have meaning. What we do has meaning when Jesus is our king. All the chaos in our world, all the things that are happening politically that we don't agree with or that we agree with, all the craziness that happens, we can have peace and it won't depress us and weigh us down when Jesus is Lord and ruler of our lives. My wife and I, we've we've been married for 11 years and uh, we've had some some lows, (laughs) had some low lows and we've had some high highs in our lives. We've had, you know, the ups and the downs in our life. But there's been times where we've sat down on the couch and we'll do this from time to time when there's like craziness happening and we're we're worried about finances or what's gonna happen next. We'll we'll sometimes just sit on the couch. And I'll often say this, I'll say, it'll it'll all work out. 
And I don't say it flippantly, like I'm not like ignoring the emotions and, and, and the anxiety, but I just say, hey, it'll all work out. Because as we reflect on our lives and all the highs and all the lows, when we think about it, and I don't say this bragging in any way, when we think about our lives and the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows, we've always been taken care of. We've always had a roof over our head. We've always had jobs. We've always been taken care of. And even though we haven't done everything perfectly, we've tried to center our lives on God. We've veered off and we say, listen, we need to center our lives on God. He needs to be our authority. He needs to be our king. Everything we do, we try to center it around God. We haven't been perfect. That's what we try to center our lives on. He's taken care of us. We've had peace. We've had joy in our lives. Because he does, when he's king, we can find peace and enjoyment and contentment. Listen, we, we all search it. We, we, all, we all search for it. We all search for purpose. We all search for meaning. We try to make sense of the world. When things happen, we try to make sense of it. We're grasping for, for meaning and for purpose. And Solomon says, not even the wisest people. You can have it all. You can have all the money. You can have all the success. You can have everything. Not even the wisest people can discover meaning and purpose. But when Jesus is king, when he's the king of our hearts and the king of our lives, we can find purpose. We can find meaning. Listen, when Jesus is the king of our lives, our finances become his. Our finances become his. And, 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 and we'll get them in order because when Jesus is king, he's a God of order and we get our finances in order. We don't have to be anxious about it. We don't have to worry about it. We, we give it over to God. God, guide my finances. Help me. Help me to get my, my life in order, my budget in order. God, you be king. You rule my finances. Our career becomes his. I don't have to fight and scrape to the top. I don't, I don't have to, to, to try to make more and get more success. God, you're the king of it. I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna serve you in what I'm doing. And God, you give to me what you are gonna give to me, but I'm just gonna serve you. I'm gonna do my best. Our family is his. I have young kids and I love them dearly. I want the best for them, but I don't control them. I'm not sovereign over my kids. God is. God, protect my family, help my family. I'm gonna serve you and seek you, but God, protect my family. They're yours. God, you're king. Our shame is his. Hey, if you're, if you're like me, you, you may have made some mistakes in your life. You may have done things that, that, hey, you're not proud of. And all the junk and all the shame, all the things that we carry, God, you take it, you help me, purify me, cleanse me. You're king of it. You take all my shame. Our identity is his. What we do, who we are, what our purpose is, our identity is his. God, you are king. God, my life. You're my authority. As I was reading and reflecting on this this week, I, I was thinking about the cross. I was thinking about, about the fact that when Jesus was put on the cross, they tried to mock him. They tried to mock Jesus. And above the cross, they put king of the Jews. They tried to mock him. And I, it made me think, that, that the cross was the throne. The cross was the throne that, that, that Jesus hung upon. It was the throne that he took it all. He took all of our shame, all of our junk. He took it all on the cross. And listen, if you'll believe in him, if you'll believe that, that the God of the universe, right, the God who created everything, that God came, Emmanuel, God with us, and he walked this dirty earth 2,000 years ago. He took on flesh, so he knows what it means to be human. And he took on all of our sins on the cross. He took it all there. If you'll trust in him and you'll believe in him, we can have joy. We can have purpose. We can have peace in our lives. We can. If you believe in him and follow after him. So here it is. We all need it. We all look to it, right? We all need some sort of authority in our lives. We need authority. We need, ob we need objective truth. We need absolute truth in our lives, but worldly authority cannot be your God. It cannot. Worldly authority cannot be your God. There's no political party. 
There's no politician that will change the world, that will change your life. No one, no one, no one can. But we do put a lot of thought and energy into things. We worship things that are the wrong things. Listen, Ecclesiastes is all about reflection and evaluation. The whole book, it's this reflective uh, book that should force us to think and think deeply. So I hope you do that. Today, I hope you'll think deeply. Are you worshiping the wrong things? What are you worshiping in your life? What is your life centered around? What is it? Solomon says, everything in life is futile. It makes no sense. It is meaningless if Jesus doesn't rule our lives. If Jesus is the king of our lives, if he rules your heart and your mind, if he rules your life, then nothing else takes precedent. Nothing else does. So let me ask you this morning, seriously consider, have you surrendered everything to him? Has everything in your life surrendered to God? Is it? Only you know that question. God, God, God probes our heart. He speaks to us. Have you surrendered everything to him? There are a lot of things that can rule our lives, that can govern our lives, that can be our authority. Man, money can be our God. It can be our authority. We can make decisions solely based off money. Money can tell us what to do and when to do it. Hey, I'm gonna make this decision because I'll get more money. I'll make more money, I'll get more. Money can tell you what to do and when to do it. Success can rule our lives. Hey, if I do this, I can get a bigger house, I can get a better car, I can, I can get promoted. I'll just make this decision solely based off the success that I'll have. Addictions can be your king, it can be your God. Hey, don't tell anyone about it, you'll be fine. It feels good, I know you feel a little bit of shame here or there, but it's okay. It can rule you and it can ruin you also. Addictions can be your God. And sports can be your God. It can be your authority. It can make you change your whole schedule and your whole life just to watch that game. I'm not beating up on anyone. I've done it before. And God has honestly had, have had to work on me about, about sports, that I don't make my whole life and schedule just around sports. It can be your authority in life. It can. Hobbies can be your God and it can be your authority. I'll sometimes ask people this question. I don't often ask people, but I, but I like to ask this question every now and then. I'll say, what is your pinnacle in life? Like, what is your number one? What's your top goal in life? Like, what do you hope to achieve? Like, if everything, you could put all your eggs in one basket, what is it that you want to achieve in your life? And uh, not, not too long ago, maybe a couple months ago, my wife and I were at some event, and uh, I, I just, I met someone randomly, and I asked him that question. I thought, why not? <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of a big question, you know, over... Just regular conversation. But I just asked him, I was like, hey, what's going on? I said, what's, what's your pinnacle in life? Like, what's your top goal? And this is what he said. He said, side by sides. Side by sides. That's my, that's my pinnacle in life. I was like, what is a side by side? I never even heard of that. Now, what is a side by side? I had to look it up. And he had to explain it more to me. He's like, it's like, a, it's like a dune buggy type thing. He's like, yeah, we have a trailer and everything. And we, our whole weekends are planned around it. Our whole life centers around side by sides. That was his pinnacle. I mean, hobbies can be our God. It can rule our lives. It can be our authority. Even our schedules. Listen, it's not bad to, to be busy and have things going on in life, but if it rules you, you have no margin in your life and your schedule literally rules your life and is your authority. It's your God. And it can be exhausting. Man, can it be exhausting serving a worldly master? It can be exhausting. Think about it this morning. Are you content? 
Are you really content in life? Are you at peace? Who sits on the throne of your heart? Who calls the shots? Who is it? Do you call the shots in your life? Hey, I'm gonna do what I want, when I want, however I want. Or do you daily, listen, daily, do you daily turn your heart and your mind over to God? God, guide me. God, please, in my work, guide my life. This, this evening, guide me. May you be king. What do we do with our finances? Where do we give our money? God, guide us and help us. Do you seek him in his word and say, God, you are king. Show me. Show me. What should we do next, God? God, help us. Is he king of your heart? Is he king of your mind? Do you turn your life over to him daily? Do you daily turn to him? Is Jesus the king of your life? Last week, I heard probably one of the most compelling stories I've heard in a long time. I sat down with a guy who, he's got some, some things happen in his life, some really good things happen in his life, and I had to meet with him last week, and he's kind of talking through some of these changes, but he started to tell me his life story, and it's an extremely compelling story. But he said, hey, I, I, I haven't always been at this place I'm at now. He said, you know, my life was all about success and gaining success. He said, I was super successful, gained a lot of money, had a big house, had, 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 had cars, had horses, had a great hobby, and we would center our life around riding horses on the weekend. He said, man, it was great. I was married for 30 years, had a wonderful marriage, and three great kids. He said, it was awesome. Everything was great. And I asked him, I said, hey, in the midst of all that, did you, did you go to church or did you, did you serve God? He said, no. I didn't raise my boys up to, to go to church. I didn't go to church because I didn't need God because I didn't need him. I thought it was a really telling statement. He's like, I didn't, I didn't need God. I did it all myself. I gained a lot of success, had a great home, had everything that I wanted, that I ever wanted. I said, but one day it shifted for him. It all shifted. His wife of 32 years, and he said, listen, I thought I had a great marriage. I mean, there were some things here or there, but I thought everything was going well. But his wife of 32 years walked in one day and said, I'm done. I'm leaving. And she left and she started doing, uh, started doing drugs and hanging with other men. He said, it was just odd. It just threw a whole wrench into our whole family. He said, I never saw it coming. It just, it messed with our whole family. It ruined us. A few months later, he said, one of his sons committed suicide. Took his own life. He said, it crushed me. It absolutely crushed me. He said, I, I didn't know what to do. I would just sit in my chair at home and I was just depressed. I was just depressed all the time. I couldn't, I couldn't think, I couldn't move. He's like, in fact, for the first time in my life, I thought about taking my own life. He said, I, was, I just, I, I couldn't move and I couldn't breathe. I just, it was, it was rough, it was terrible. And he said, but then I had this thought. It just, it just popped in my head. He said, I, I, need to, I, need to just, I need to find a Bible. He said, I hadn't been to church since I was a kid. This guy was in his 60s. And he's like, man, I hadn't been to church since I was a kid. I didn't know if I had a Bible, but I thought I'd just go rummaging through my closet and see if I can find a Bible. So he said he started going through his closet and he find, found a Bible. He said, I was so angry at God. My wife left me and he said, man, where is God in all this? And my, my son took his life. He said, I was so angry. I threw the Bible down onto my kitchen table. And this is where I thought like, no way, you're like making this up. And he's like, I'm not making it up. I, I promise you, it opened to the book of Job right there on the kitchen table. If you don't know anything about the book of Job, it's a, a story about a guy who had everything. He had everything, but then he lost everything. But he refused to curse God. God was his king. God was, was his authority through it all. This guy said, I, I never read the book of Job. I didn't know anything about it, but I read it that night. I read all through Job that, that night. He said, this is it. I, I know, like, I, I have to turn my life over to God. I have to. And he said, it took, it, took, it took a while. It took a while, but he said, man, I just started seeking God. I didn't turn the corner right away. He said, it didn't, it didn't happen overnight, but I just started seeking God. 
I started going to church. He goes, I tried every church that I could. He goes, I felt the glory at some churches. Some I didn't, but I just kept going. I kept trying. I kept going. I kept going because I read the word and I read the word. And he goes, and I turned my life over to God. And so I asked him that same question. I said, well, what's the pinnacle now? Like, what is it? What's your, what's your top goal? What do, you, what do you hope to achieve? And without hesitation, he said to bring God glory. That's it, my whole life, everything. I want it to center around him. I want to bring God glory in every single thing that I do. He said, it used to be success. It used to be having a good family and a good life. He said, but now it's just to bring God glory. That's all I wanna do. That's all I wanna do. I look at the guy's life. I look at his face. I saw the peace and the contentment and the joy of God because Jesus is his king. Is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king today? Can you truly say that Jesus is my king and is my Lord? If he's not today, listen, today allow Jesus to be the king of your life, to be the authority of your life, to guide you and to move you in everything that you do. And listen, Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, when we do, when we make him king, all of our everyday human concerns will be met. Unto you, these things will be added. Unto you, they will be added. We'll have peace, joy, and contentment in our lives. It won't be perfect. It won't be perfect, but we can have peace and we can have joy. Is Jesus your king today? Will you pray with me? With all heads bowed and, and all eyes closed, listen, if, man, if today you, you've got some things going on, maybe it is, you have some worries. Maybe it's, uh, man, you, you need to give it over to God to, to be the authority of your family, of your life, and you just have some things that are, weighing on you and you need to say, listen, Jesus, be my king, be my authority in this. Just come up and pray with some. There are people on the side of the stage that would love to pray with you. And just take the opportunity to, to come and pray with someone who just would, would relish in just praying with you and saying, God, you're the king of it. You're the Lord over it. Maybe today you're in here. I never assume, I never assume two things in any size room that I'm in, that there's someone here that doesn't believe in God, that is running from him, is far from him. You just happen to find yourself here. Maybe you don't, know, you don't even know what it means to make Jesus the king of your life, the authority of your life. To my right, your left, is Mike Lee. He's in a flannel shirt. One of the pastors here on staff. If you don't believe in God, and today is the day, you say, listen, I would like to make him my authority. Or, or maybe the other thing I don't assume is there's someone in here who's dealing with addictions. It's your God. It's been your king, and you, and you haven't told anyone. And come up and talk to Mike. He would love to talk to you. He would love to talk with you and pray with you and talk through that. And all around the room here, on, on, on every table with a lamp on it, there's communion. It's the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the God of God, the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's the one who died on a cross for us. It's his body and his blood broken for us. Listen, if you go and take that communion, the only thing we ask here at the experience is he's your king. You've given your life to him and you wanna serve him with everything you have. You turned your heart and your mind over to him. It's the only thing we ask when you take communion. But what a great time to reflect and your King and your Savior, your life. Jesus, I am so grateful that, that you do guide us, you do lead us. If we turn our hearts and our minds over to you, God, you can give us peace, you can give us hope. I pray that we won't leave this place. God, we won't just frivolously walk into this place and not be changed and not be moved, but God, you would move in us, you would change us so that we can have hope, we can have peace, and we can have true love, God, in our lives. I do love you, God. I give you the praise and the glory and the honor, and I know that you love us, and we pray these things in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.